Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Drop Step. I'm your host Jack Quantrill and uh, first off I want to thank you for tuning in. This is hopefully the first episode of many. Before we get into Carl Anthony Towns who is the topic of today's podcast I want to tell you a little bit about what to expect from this feed. So this isn't going to be your ordinary sort of weekly roundup talk about the latest events in the NBA at least for now. I've got a few series planned First of which is going to be these style deep dives into some of the maybe lesser covered NBA small market teams. So we've got the Wolves today. I've got Charlotte podcast in the pipeline. Keen to explore what's sort of going on in Utah at some stage. Um, We'll have a few episodes sort of looking ahead to next season, trying to make some bold predictions about what's going to happen. I've got a sort of collaborative trade series planned as well called Trade Wars, where we're going to look to get guests on, create some sort of fun fake trade proposals, argue it out, who's got the better ideas for a certain team, and then have you guys vote on who. And uh, lastly, I'm really excited about a series that I put a lot of research into, and that is going to be called First Class. So I'm really excited about that. That is a series where we're going to take the 32 best draft classes of all time and pit them up against each other in a sort of March Madness style tournament. I ideally want to get a guest on to sort of take the reins as the manager for one of our draft class years and we'll pit them against each other, explain lineup choices, how we're going to combat some of the other team's strengths, mitigate our own weaknesses. And at the end of that, we'll put a poll up on the Dropstep Twitter account, which I'll leave in the description to this episode. And you guys can vote on who's going to progress into that next round where we'll have another fictional matchup until we finally conclude what the best, most balanced draft class was of all time. But today, our focus turns to one of the more gifted but enigmatic players in the association, and that's Carl Anthony Towns. So, Cat was the number one pick of the 2015 draft. We all know he's immensely talented. Along with Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, he's up there with Dirk as the sort of best shooting big man of all time. We know he's got juice off the bounce, an eye for a spectacular pass. He can score at all three levels. At 27 years old, we were probably expecting him to be coming into his prime, ready to lead an unlucky NBA franchise in the Wolves to title contention. Fat back in 2017, two years into the big man's career, 29% of NBA GMs picked him as the number one guy they'd want to start a franchise with. He was already voted as the league's best centre. Towns wasn't really just set for stardom. He was set for superstardom. Yet six years on, And to me, it feels like he's being forced out of Minnesota. Tim Connolly made a big decision in the off-season trading for Rudy Gobert. And I think you can see the logic behind it. I think they wanted to let Carl Anthony Towns be Carl Anthony Towns. The idea was, players are four. Don't worry about being the primary rim protector where he sort of struggled in the past. Rudy's here now. That's his job. Maybe in the pick and roll, you're still playing those aggressive coverages that got him into the playoffs last year. You know, you're hedging on the perimeter, you're blitzing along with another guy. But you've got a shot-blocking, rim-protecting behemoth behind you, enabling him to focus on the offense. You know, I think there was a perception about Towns that he wanted to play on the perimeter. This is a guy that, at his peak, he's launching seven threes a game. He's hitting them at a 40% clip. 
he doesn't want to be playing bully ball down inside against fives. This was this was sort of the logic of Tim Connolly. And credit to him, Towns has looked like a completely different player next to Rudy Gobert, but not in a good way. Knowing that there isn't a clear line to the rim behind them, you've got the big seven-foot Frenchman who can't space out to three, who can't even stand out the dunker spot, just sort of clogging up the lane and really messing with the Timberwolves' offensive flow. And on defence, it hasn't really worked either. Uh, in a league where you really want five guys who can switch and guard in the perimeter, you're fielding two seven-footers who might be fleet-footed for their size, but they still get roasted in a mismatch. Both have the same defensive instincts. In fact, if you want to check that out more, Ben Taylor highlighted the issues they were facing earlier in the season on Thinking Basketball, showing numerous occasions where Gobert and Towns go to protect the basket, allowing open shots on the perimeter. Maybe it's growing pains. Maybe a full off-season allows the big men to work on their communication. And maybe Chris Finch gets creative with the play calling and opens up the paint a little bit more for Towns, for Ant, when Rudy's on the floor. But to me, I think even if this works out to the 10 out of 10 outcome, you know, Finch overcomes the spacing issues, they get it together defensively. I can't help but feel that a generational offensive talent is going to be wasted. He's not going to maximise his potential playing as a four next to the big Frenchman. In fact, I think unless you have one of these unicorn defensive big guys, a Jaron Jackson and Evan Mobley, when it gets to the later stages of the playoffs, playing two big guys just doesn't seem to be an option. So what can you do? Can you trade Rudy? Who takes him? He's due $131 million over the next three years. He's showing signs of decline. Flipping him for half a quarter of the assets you moved to Utah to bring him in a season later is a fireable offence for Tim Connolly. And aside from maybe Dallas, the Clippers, the Hawks, who has the matching salary and the need for the ageing Frenchman? So, that's how we get to here. To me, I think Cat should jump before he's pushed, request a move in the off-season, and look to establish himself somewhere that isn't seeing snow 110 days of the year. So, let's break down Towns' game, the strengths, the weaknesses, and try and find some trade partners for the Wolves to try and make it a win-win for both parties. So we said at the top of the pod, Carl Anthony Towns is up there with the best shooting big men of all time, but what's probably undeniable is that he is the best three-point shooting big man of all time. In his best season to date, Cat shot 7.93s a game and made 41% of them. For context, this year we had three players match or better those figures. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Buddy Hield. Admittedly, those numbers dropped in recent years, but looking at the last few seasons, he's good for five and a half threes a game and he'll knock him down at between 38 and 42%. For his career, he shot between 71% from 0 to 3 feet, 49% from 3 to 10, and 45% on long twos. That's not too dissimilar from Joel Embiid, who has been a hyper-efficient scorer in the last few regular seasons. Combined with that efficient scoring, I think he's an advanced playmaker at the centre position. 
He's averaged four and a half assists per game or better in three of his last four seasons. And when you review the film, you see a playmaker who can make all kinds of reads. Against the Lakers in the play-in, taking advantage of a spaced-out offence when Rudy, if you remember, was banned for those play-in games. He's driving against Anthony Davis. He draws three players on a drive to LaPayne. He finds Nikhil Alexander-Walker with a blind, over-the-head reverse pass. Pretty much the next possession down the court, he drives to the basket once again, draws help from the corner, and finds Torian Prince for an open corner three. Towns delivers these passes with disguise and speed. And that's his passing when he's on the move. If you look at the season prior to acquiring Rudy in the trade, you'll see him situate himself in the high post all the time, back his man down, threatening to take a pull-up mid-ranger, a fade away, even drive to the basket, and then a whip a one-handed cross-court pass to the weak side for an open corner three. I think Cat is capable of doing this on a night-to-night basis, but that's as a lone centre. With Rudy clogging up the paint, I don't quite see that happening. See, when you've got that guy clogging up the lanes in the dunker spot, the help comes from there. Those corner passes aren't going to be as readily available. So I think it should be his priority that he goes somewhere and he plays as that lone centre. And really, I see the next evolution of his game in acting as a playmaking hub, similar to a Demantas Sabonis. This is a guy who can playmake, score and rebound with the best of them in the league. That being said, there are noticeable weaknesses. The entire reason Towns has had to put up with Rudy this year is because he's below par protecting the rim, and for the most part, he's still inconsistent. In consecutive years, he's cost his team in the playing game, getting into foul trouble down the stretch. The other question is his mentality. Dependent on what night you put on league pass, we all know the Wolves aren't exactly prime time. You can see two versions of Carl Anthony Towns. When he's engaged, he's better defensively. He's dominant and decisive offensively. He knocks down clutch shots. He gets to his spots. Ices games at the line. You want the ball in his hands down the stretch. Then, other nights, he's in a funk. Defensive effort isn't there. He's passing up shots and disappears in the moments you still need him most. So, signing Towns isn't exactly without risk. The year after next, he starts a Supermax extension, netting him $50 million a year up until the 27-28 season. He's shown a slightly worrying recent injury record, having been a real Ironman in his first few years in the league. So, that narrows down our options for where he goes. We need to find him a situation where he's the primary centre, not sharing with a drop rim protector like Rudy. We need a team that for one reason or another will be willing to take the risk on Towns. Whether that's the desperation to compete, having a treasure trove of assets, being in a small market. And obviously we need a team who isn't set at centre, which rules out a fair few of the league's best teams. So I've got seven teams that I think realistically should explore trading for Towns. And I'll pitch you in depth the three trade scenarios I like the most. One involving the Warriors, one involving the Blazers, and one involving the Memphis Grizzlies. So, 
Honourable mentions from least likely to most. Now, I'll admit, I wrote this a couple of days ago. Uh, We're just coming off the back of the Celtics' first win in their Eastern Conference final series. I thought it was interesting to see who was in attendance, and particularly who met up after the game. So, Anthony Edwards attended the game, and he was seen having an exchange of words in the tunnel with Jalen Brown. Which brings us to our first potential trade partner and that is the Boston Celtics. I think we all thought after Jalen Brown was announced to all NBA second team in the forward spots and he became eligible for that same supermax that Carl Anthony Towns is due in the next couple of years that his future was somewhat settled. There had been trade rumours last summer about him potentially being the main piece in a deal for Kevin Durant But I think with the way that this Miami series has gone, there's going to be potential for Boston and Brad Stevens to really move stuff around. And one way they could do that is by pulling a megastar trade for Carl Anthony Towns. So the logic is as follows. They're thin in the front court, really. Al Horford is like a million years old. He was drafted back in 2007. Rob Williams has his injury issues. Therefore, over the next couple of years, there's a few doubts about who their starting centre is going to be. Step in Carl Anthony Towns. I think you could pretty much engineer a straight swap between the two. Because Brown is in that last year of his contract, there's perhaps a lack of security until he signs that extension. I see them having somewhat similar trade value. And I think offensively, this makes a ton of sense. So... Joe Mazzula has looked to go away from that two-big lineup that was so successful for the Celtics last year and really institute more five-out, fully-spaced, three-point-heavy team ethos when it comes to generating shots and how they go about their offensive game. So Towns really fits right into that. I think if you look at the numbers, Horford is taking a similar amount of threes to Towns this year making about 42-43%. He was an absolute dead-eye during the regular season, but he's had his struggles, particularly in this round during the playoffs. Carl anthony Towns steps in there and he supercharges what was already the fourth most efficient offensive team in the league during the regular season. I see them, like I said before, instituting some of those handoff actions. I think Boston always looks best when they're running movement sets, getting Tatum the ball when he's already got some momentum. You know, they've got guards that, while they can handle and they can perhaps get to their own shot, they're not going to break a guy down in the way that, you know, James Harden might at the top of the key. So Towns could really unlock something for them. And I can see him forming a real superstar duo with Tatum in Boston. You've got to remember, I think they're 24 and 27 respectively. So timeline-wise, they match. And you don't have this redundancy of skill set that you perhaps have with Brown and Tatum where neither are fantastic playmakers. You know, they can both get to their own shot. They can generate their own points. And defensively, you know, they can be really locked down when they're really focused. But Towns and Tatum, I see them feeding into each other. You know, the more attention that Jason Tatum draws on the perimeter the more you can throw the ball into Towns in the high post who can then get some of their other role players involved and vice versa if you're keying in on Carl Anthony Towns then 
you're leaving Jason Tatum for a closeout, for an open three, for a catch and shoot. And I think that follows that pairing that we've seen over the past 20, 30 years, your wing scorer and your big, as opposed to this PG and Kawhi style Clippers thing that the Celtics have had going on since 2017 when they drafted Jason. But I do have my reservations. Brad Stevens has shown in building this roster that he's really prioritising two-way guys. Malcolm Brogdon is a sturdy defender. Derek White made all-defence second team this year as a guard and you know offers that rim protection presence for a guard, which is extremely unusual. You know, you see that with Dwayne Wade maybe, but not the Derek Whites of the world, at least usually. So Towns clashes with that ethos that they've had over the past few years in building the team. And if Robert Williams is healthy, I don't see him being involved in a trade here because what's the point in having Williams and Rudy unless you're going to get Rudy out of Minnesota as well, which we've discussed isn't really a possibility. With a fully healthy roster, I think you might run into some of those similar problems that Towns is experiencing in Minnesota. So between the fact that he doesn't really fit the ethos of the Celtics, while I think it'd still be a really good on-court fit, and that if Robert Williams is healthy, then there's some redundancy on court. I don't see the Celtics as that major destination for Towns. The other thing to consider is, like we've said, Towns is due $50 million once his Supermax kicks in, not this season, but the season afterwards. And that coincides with the new CBA coming into play, which would place incredible restrictions upon the Boston Celtics in terms of team building over the next couple of years. You know, they wouldn't be able to trade their draft picks seven years out into the future. They wouldn't be able to take back additional money in trades. They wouldn't be able to perform sign and trades. So over the next few years, I think we're going to see teams perhaps pivot to a model where they might have one Supermax guy, one Max guy, because Financially, unless the cap really spikes with the new TV deal in 24-25, you're just going to have so many restrictions placed on you by having two guys that are making 50 million plus a year. The other thing is, if Jalen Brown is happy to stay in Boston, you know, they they super max him out. He's eligible, eligible for that full $295 million. Then they have a championship roster. I think you can pin a lot of the blame for this season unfortunately onto their rookie coach Joe Mazzula perhaps I've heard Bill Simmons speak about you get an old head next to him on the bench you know they had Damon Stoudemire next to him they had Will Hardy on the bench next year next to their rookie coach in Ime so is it worth the risk for the Celtics I think we discussed at the top of this that the team that's going to trade for Towns is going to be one that needs to make a big move in order to gain some of that championship equity, which in a way rules out our next team, someone I'd be a little bit more excited to see trade for Towns. And that is the Boston Celtics rival in these Eastern Conference Finals. That's the Miami Heat. I know what you're thinking. We want him to be the primary centre. They have Bam Adebayo. They're not going to move Adebayo for Carl Anthony Towns because, again, that fit doesn't work for Minnesota. But 
I personally really like the idea of a Carl Anthony Towns BAM at a Biofront Court because I think they fill in each other's deficiencies far better than you know, Rudy and Cat or another big man that you could perhaps pair with BAM. Adebayo is probably the best switching centre in the league. And I think if you bring Towns in, Towns plays the five. You're the guy parked closer to the basket. You're collecting rebounds. You're looking to institute some of that Kevin Love style offence where you're pulling the ball down off the boards and setting off the likes of Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Jimmy Butler, who sprint down the court as soon as they see a rebound land. And Bam is a Swiss army knife. He opens up so many opportunities for your team. He continues to play that switch-heavy style. He's only allowing 0.88 points per possession on isolations this year, which is excellent. And uh, you actually see Cat as a Rob Williams-style weak side rim protector. You park him on the corner guy, as we've seen the Lakers do in the Nuggets series, which is now over with Anthony Davis. You allow Adebayo to take the tough matchup, and you cover up for some of Towns's deficiencies, really simplifying his job. I think most of the issues Towns has on the defensive end is when he's got complex decisions to make, and that usually comes from being in the pick and roll. So put him in a team that favours zone coverage more than anyone over the past 20 years. Give him to Eric Spolstra, the mad scientist of the league, you know, by far and away the best X's and O's coach we have. And I think you can cover up for his deficiencies and you can really, really maximise what he brings to the table offensively. We know in their last couple of years of success, the Miami Heat have favoured movement. You know, they've had Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent coming off of handoffs, doing little handoff actions with Bam on the perimeter. That's been really successful in this Celtic series and throughout this postseason. Just imagine if you have Towns as the guy that's performing those actions. So not only do you have the threat of these lethal three-point shooters, your Struces, Heroes, Robinsons, Vincents, the, the list goes on. The big man who's handling the ball can turn, can face up, can drive and can pull from three. For a team that struggled in the regular season generating efficient offence, I don't really know what's happened during the postseason. It's just... They've locked in and they're barely missing threes. I, I don't know if it's sustainable, if Eric Spolstra has some sort of magic potion. But this really helps the Heat utilise their skillful players. It allows Jimmy Butler to take that back seat that he likes to do in the regular season. And Jimmy Butler is one of the reasons why I don't see this trade happening. We all know the infamous incident where Butler takes the third stringers in Wolves practice, plays against the rest of the starters, including one golden child at the time, Carl Anthony Towns, and he beats them and he runs around the gym screaming, you guys need me, you guys need me. Is Carl Anthony Towns about to go into a locker room where Jimmy is the primary guy, the teacher's pet? You see on the court, him and Spo have such chemistry, they know exactly what they're doing. I don't think so. The other thing is, Bam is the guy that's running those handoff actions at the moment. And while I think he is such a versatile player, and offensively, he could fit into a sort of Aaron Gordon-style role where he's taken advantage of less physical matchups, you know, pinning people under the basket, ducking in while Cat is acting out of the high post. 
Are you going to pay a guy like that $30 million and keep him happy at the same time? I'm not too sure. They're the two reasons why I don't see the trade happening. But for a player like Towns, who isn't a two-way guy, let's be honest, he's magnificent offensively. A team like the Heat that seems to just hide these glaring deficiencies in their role players. You know, these are guys that weren't even drafted. Give Eric Spolstra that talent and he could work wonders with it. So it's one to consider. I think considering the success that the Heat have had in this postseason that yet again, they will run it back. Pat Riley will sniff around stars and say, oh, we're interested. Similar to the way that they did with Donovan Mitchell last summer. They might with James Harden if he says that he wants out from Philadelphia. I could see flirtations happening if Towns makes it apparent that he wants to leave. But ultimately, I don't think it's the destination for the Dominican big man. This is where things start to get a little bit juicier. I want to explore the idea of Carl Anthony Towns heading to New Orleans to pair up with Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. I think on paper this makes a ton of sense. The Pelicans have those aforementioned excess picks. They don't have a standout centre. So what's the issue? Well, I think they have to give up one of their young wings to get this done. Trey Murphy has had an incredible sophomore year. He shot 60% on twos, 40% on threes, 90% from the line. Post-All-Star break, he was averaging 17 points per game. And that All-Star break, he really announced himself to NBA casuals. Performing in both the dunk contest and the three-point contest during the All-Star break. And I think he was unlucky during that dunk contest as well. He pulled out some stuff that we haven't seen before. And for whatever reason, that audience in Utah was not reacting. It was all the Mac McClung show, but... He announced himself to NBA casuals. And when it comes to the Pelicans' other star wing, we're talking about Herb Jones. This was a steal in the draft. They picked him up in the second round. And he's already an all-NBA level defender. He's one of the better value contracts in the league. And again, post-All-Star, his shooting had seemingly come around. Admittedly, it's a small sample size. But with Fred Vincent on the coaching staff, the shooting guru of the NBA. It's him and Chip England who's now residing in Oklahoma. I think the Pelicans are going to back Herb Jones to become, if not a lights out guy, just someone that you can keep on the floor during the playoffs. Someone that's hitting 34, 35% of their open threes, their catch and shoots. They're not going to ask him to generate off the dribble, but New Orleans has had significant success improving the shots of Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, I think even Trey Murphy has taken strides while he's been there. And they're clearly backing themselves with Herb. They pick a Dyson Daniels in the draft last year who shows incredible feel, has this positional size, this length, this acumen for the game. And they just say, we think we can get a shot to come around. So I think that they're really attached to those wings, which poses our first issue. The second issue is, I don't think the Pelicans need an offensive centre. Would it fix some of their spacing issues? Yes. It'd allow for Zion and Herb to be on the court in closing lineups at the same time. But there's only one ball that goes round. You already have a guy in Brandon Ingram that at the end of the year, 
was averaging 30% usage and just looked different with the ball in his hands. He was averaging close to 30 points, eight assists per game. This is a guy that you want having the ball in clutch situations. And that's if Zion isn't healthy. If Zion is healthy, he can pose significant threat off ball. You know, you park him next to the dunker spot and he's pulling two guys' attention instantly. He's sort of the inside the arc Steph Curry in terms of the gravity that he has. But you don't want to reduce him to that. Zion has shown that when you put the ball in his hands, he is a one-man wrecking ball and he is getting to the basket and he is generating ridiculously efficient. So he needs to be a, if not the primary guy in their offensive system. And then you've still got Trey Murphy III. Like we said, 17 points per game post-All-Star break. This is a guy that's shown the development of a little floater. He can generate his own looks. He's getting to the rim. He's incredibly athletic. Are you just going to be reducing him to a guy that gets his stuff in transition or he's getting catch and shoot threes off of the gravity of the two star guys that we've mentioned? I don't think so. I think you want him to carry on developing. And that's even forgetting CJ McCollum, who, yes, he's there a little bit as a grandfather of the group, the old head. You know, this is a guy that was head of the Players Association for years and is meant to be an incredibly calming presence in that dressing room but he's not going to be a spot-up guy he's not going to be happy doing that for the next few years of his career which poses significant issues when you say hey we're going to introduce Carl Anthony Towns into this as well he needs his 15 16 17 shots a night the other thing is that leaves you closing with three bad defenders on the court that leaves you with Towns, with CJ, and at the moment, you know, God knows if he's going to be healthy, Zion Williamson. Find me a team that has gone deep in the playoffs with three bad defenders in their closing lineup. It just doesn't happen. You can afford to have one, maybe two, and if you're trying to have three, then you usually need that Rudy Gobert style rim presence that is just going to erase everything at the rim, or you need to fully commit offensively. And maybe they could do that. Maybe they could average 125 offensive rating for the entire season and just blow teams out the water and be the box office team of the league. But I just don't see it. I think that the Pelicans are far better off acquiring a role player centre, maybe through the draft, maybe they overpay Brooke Lopez in free agency and they just tell him go stand in the corner and you'll get your post-ups in bench lineups but there's just a little bit of redundancy in towns heading to New Orleans that's two down have you got any ideas who our other couple of teams are going to be have you got any suggestions are you going to be mad if I don't mention your team in the Carl Anthony Towns bidding war this one is completely hypothetical mainly because of the guy going back the other way he's trouble he's unpredictable I don't see him wanting to go and move to Minnesota but just for a second imagine Luca and Carl Anthony Towns running the pick and roll together imagine Towns ending up in Dallas and just seeing I can't believe I'm saying this but it's a supercharged Harden and Bede pick and roll I think that fully maximises Carl Anthony Towns on the offensive end of the floor. I also think it would commit Dallas to 
having to reach that 125 offensive rating in order for anything to work, kind of similar to what they had to do last year. But there's less redundancy in having a big man and this big creating perimeter guard in Luka Doncic. I love the idea of them performing handoffs at the top of the key. You know, the issue with Luka has been when he's the sole creator on the team for three quarters, he looks incredible. He looks like the best guy in the association. And then you get to the fourth and he's gassed. He needs other players to step up. So simplify his possessions. Don't take the ball out of his hands, but have him run pick and roll with Carl Anthony Towns. He's made Dwight Powell the most offensive shooting big man in the league over the last couple of seasons. I think his effective field goal percentage has been somewhere in the 72, 73, 74% range. Give him a guy so much more versatile. Give him a guy that doesn't just catch lobs. You know, I think in the next stage of his career, Towns is going to operate more like Joel Embiid. He's going to set himself up at the nail. He's going to go to work. He's going to throw in some triple threat footwork. And he's just going to can shots time after time from that mid-range area. Or he fully pops in that pick and roll out to three. And he just spaces for the best heliocentric engine we have currently in the NBA. I mean, Luka Jokic, it's, it's between the two. But the reason why this doesn't happen is Kyrie Irving. I think fit-wise, Kyrie next to Anthony Edwards, next to Rudy Gobert, next to Jaden McDaniels, and whatever other guy you want to throw in at the three or the four, it works really well. You have Kyrie, who is one of the most flexible scorers in the league. You know, Kyrie doesn't take easy shots. He's not a catch-and-shoot merchant. He's not a guy that can run and dunk and get to the rim. A lot of the reason why we love watching Kyrie play is because he's a bit of a throwback. He's a six-foot Kobe Bryant in terms of he's going to get the ball in that mid-range, whether he's dribbled in, whether he's... Posting up as a six-foot guard. Yes, he posts up as a six-foot guard. And he's making fadeaways over two or three guys. Or he's pulling out some of the most ridiculous finishes at the rim that you've ever seen. You know, English on the ball, going away from the basket. How, I, I don't know. The guy could be injured and he's still going to make his shots. Which is why he, in theory, works really well with a guy that's going to clog the paint. You know, you saw Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving together in Brooklyn. And they made it so easy for Nick Claxton, despite the fact that all he was was a rim runner. I, I think that Kyrie could be that guy next to Anthony Edwards where he's a release valve. He can get you buckets under pressure. He can take turns with and but he's not a ball dominant guy. You know, Edwards is still going to get his reps and he's still going to develop with Irving next to him. I'd be more worried about the stuff that he's showing him on YouTube. I'd be more worried about the Timberwolves being the first seed in the West and suddenly Kyrie says he's seen the abominable snowman in the Minnesota mountains and that's it. And we've got another trade on our hands. So I don't think this happens, but fit-wise, I love the idea of Towns next to Luca, And I really like the idea of Kyrie next to one of these young, up-and-coming guys, particularly in Edwards, who can defend the bigger wings on the perimeter, it's just not going to happen, and that's a shame. So, they were our honourable mentions. 
Now it's time to get to the three teams that we mentioned at the top of this segment, and that's the Memphis Grizzlies, that's the Golden State Warriors, and that's the Portland Trailblazers. I think all of them have decent reasons for trading for Cat, but in third place, I have the best defensive fit of them all, and that's the Memphis Grizzlies. I see the trade going down a little bit like this, so you have Towns and Kyle Anderson heading to Memphis, Carl Anderson makes a triumphant return back to the Grizzlies in exchange for Tyus Jones, Luke Kennard, Brandon Clark. And I've got three firsts down here. I've got that being the Warriors 24 pick and the Grizzlies 25 and 27 firsts. So discussing the Grizzlies first, this is a major swing on their part where they pillage their depth to acquire not a third, but a fourth star. And I think the fit on both ends is obvious. On the offensive end, the Grizzlies evolve away from their possession game approach. They drop Stephen Adams to the bench and they're going with a starting lineup of John Morant, if he's eligible, Desmond Bain, whoever they find to replace Dylan Brooks, be that David Roddy, be that Jake LaRavia, Zaire Williams finally stepping up after showing some promising minutes in his first season or someone they pick up in free agency. Then you have Jaron Jackson Jr. at the four, and you're playing Carl Anthony Towns at the five. Making a move like this opens up the court for the Grizzlies, and in particular, Joe. Stephen Adams has been a great screen setter, and he crashes the offensive glass like no one else in the association. But to me, this completely diversifies the Grizzlies' offense, and essentially playoff proofs it. The Grizzlies would move away from transition-reliant offence to having so many more options. Jar can drive with JJJ, Bain and Town spacing. I think Jaron can continue to drive into the paint as he has in recent starts without Steven Adams in the lineup. I see Towns hitting cutters from the high posts, playing four in, one out, and ultimately the Jar cap pick and roll would be one of the best in the league. Cat is arguably the best popping big in the association and I see no reason why he can't get similar layoff passes from Jar into the mid-range, like I said, that Embiid has gone from Harden this year. Defensively, the idea is clear too. You let Cat be Cat on the pick and roll, play aggressively, hedge, knowing that similar to last year Wolves season, you have an athletic helper behind, but in this case, that helper is the best in the league in Jaron Jackson Jr., you're maybe lacking a guy that can take on tough perimeter assignments. I like Desmond Bain. I think he's a really sturdy and resolute defender. But like we said, you're asking a David Roddy or a Zaire Williams or someone that they can pick up in free agency or on the trade market to take those assignments. But essentially, Cat just moves things over offensively to such a degree and I think he makes the other three guys pop so much with his shooting ability that this is an idea that has to be explored. And honestly, I think that if Jar wasn't on the verge of getting another suspension, probably in the 20-game region, this is something that they'd really consider. But given that Tyus Jones is one of the best backup point guards in the, in the league, their star point guard is due to face a lengthy suspension. I don't know if the Grizzlies are going to be confident enough to put together that star starting five. I think even though you'd have bench guys like Steven Adams, like Kyle Anderson, like Santi, 
I just don't know if the Memphis front office would truly trust that group, especially given the sort of turmoil that that team is in at the moment. And on the Wolves side, I don't necessarily have this trade ranked as highly. I think fit-wise, it works. Tyus is a great point guard to put in next to Ant and Rudy, even with his lack of size. Kennard is a super valuable acquisition for a team that would be committing to Rudy long term. They'd really benefit from his spacing. You know, the guy was putting up seven, eight threes a game post All Star, and he can knock him down at almost fifty percent. You know, if you're getting him open catch and shoot opportunities, this is one of the most lights out guys in the league. And I think Clark is a great bench big who can play in switch lineups, maybe to close out games. That's if he returns from his health scares. Even the pit capital is decent. I think that Warriors 24 first carries some significant value because we don't know what direction they're going to go in heading into this offseason. You know, if they trade Draymond or, you know, he's he's not re-signed, we don't know if they're going to hold it together defensively. And then with the turmoil that the Grizzlies Association is in right now, maybe those 25 and 27 firsts are looking far more valuable than they were, say, six months ago. But I think it's a really hard sell to the fan base. This is a guy that you drafted number one. This is a guy that you said is going to be the face of your team. And really, you're getting back three role players for him and three firsts. It raises the Wolves' floor but it significantly lowers their ceiling. And making a move like this would be relying on Ant to have a Dwayne Wade-style 06 playoffs to win it all in the future. So, that brings us to our runner-up. I think there are benefits for the Grizzlies, but they're definitely in third place, and a team that would benefit from signing Carl Anthony Towns more or acquiring Carl Anthony Towns is the Golden State Warriors. It's been discussed for years now, them cashing in on their young core that used to look fantastic. Now we don't know if we can even call it a young core in order to maximise their championship odds over the next couple of seasons. I think Towns heading to the Oracle Centre could make sense for both parties. The package would be something along the lines of Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga and a first for Towns. This leaves the Warriors with the starting five of Steph, Clay. Wiggins, Draymond and Towns with a bench unit of GP2, Looney, Moody, Patrick Baldwin Jr and hopefully Dante DiVincenzo if they can reconvince him to sign. Again, this is about diversifying the the Warriors offence. They play a beautiful motion style but at the moment when Steph goes to the bench they're relying on Paul to do his best curry impression and that has mixed results at best. Offensively, I see Towns running the same handoff actions when Draymond is off the floor. I still think he can park himself at the top of the key, elbow, or constraint from there. Give him a few months to integrate into that motion system. And this is a perfect guy to hit those cutters, hit those guys that are in motion with layoff passes, with cross-court whips that we've seen in the past. I think it could really work. And then when Steph comes back onto the court, you're making the deadliest pick and roll for probably since Dotson and Malone in the Draymond Curry pairing even more deadly. 
what you might lose in intelligence and short roleplay making from Draymond, you gain that ridiculous shooting ability with Carl Anthony Towns. And as defenders struggle to deal with the fact that they can't just send two to the ball because you are leaving one of the best three-point shooters in the association open for a catch-and-shoot three. I think it lengthened Steph's career. I think it would allow him to play until he's 36, 37 and operate out of the pick-and-roll as opposed to just running movement sets. I think Cat is a better rim-running threat than a Draymond. I mean, everyone kind of is, considering the guy is a little bit scared to finish at the basket sometimes and doesn't quite have that elevation. And he can anchor bench lineups far better than a Jordan Paul. And the real ace in the hole is that the best three-point shooting in the league will be able to turn to a five-out lineup at the end of games. Can you imagine Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Towns, and one other guy, whether it's GP2, whether it's Patrick Baldwin Jr., whoever they choose to integrate, I mean Moses Moody, they're going to be unstoppable. And that's something that they weren't during this year's playoffs. Defensively, I think it's a simple job. You're asking him to do what Looney does on a night-to-night basis. Beast out in one-on-one situations, crash the hell out of the boards, and trust athletic guys like an Andrew Wiggins, like a GP2, and even Clay if he rediscovers some of that athleticism that he had pre the two ACL tears to take care of business on the perimeter. And he has Draymond clearing up for him. I mean... It's a risk for Golden State. You're moving two homegrown talents for a big star, but I think if Cat were to stay healthy, he'll help extend Stephen Clay's career. He adds shooting and scoring threat. He allows them to diversify the offense. He perhaps allows them to move away from Draymond in the long term. And for Minnesota, I think this is a no-brainer. You secure yourself a young ball handler with some off-ball capabilities as well as on-ball juice to run the backcourt with Ant, and you bring in another young explosive wing to add to Edwards and McDaniels. This improves their versatility and depth of the Minnesota roster. It allows Nasri to re-sign as the clear backup centre who can also play the four. They can go small with Connolly, Paul, Edwards lineups, focus on scoring, or you go for three wing lineups of Edwards, Kamenga, McDaniels and you lock everyone down on the perimeter and then you still have the best rim protector in the league stood by the basket and he's never had a simpler job. This makes them more playoff ready. Maybe it lowers their ceiling. I think you only do this if you're high on Kamenga and you believe that Jordan Paul can get back to a level that he reached during last year's playoff run. But it's 100% an option for the Minnesota Timberwolves and it's something that I think makes sense for both parties. But it's not my number one trade for Carl Anthony Towns. There is a star that is looking to make one last, one last run. And that is Damian Lillard. And that is the Portland Trailblazers. First off, let me acknowledge this team isn't doing any impressions of the 0-4 Pistons on the defensive end. But while 90% of the community thinks Portland should blow it up, they seem content at making one last run at building a contender around Dame. You know, after their one last run last year. I think package-wise it's simple. They send the Wolves Anthony Simons and the number three pick on draft night. 
Jason Quick of The Athletic made it really clear that the Blazers will trade their selection unless it landed at number one. Well, they've landed at three. I think that's a great position to be in. They should really pivot and they should trade Lillard and build around a young core. But in this scenario where they want to make a run, I think Towns is probably the star that makes the most sense for them to seek to acquire. It leaves Portland with a backcourt of Lillard and Sharp. Grant re-signs in the off-season along with Tybal. They have Towns at the five. And then they also have Nurkic and two to three more tradable picks dependent on if they can negotiate something with the Bulls where they open up the eligibility for future firsts to be traded. I said at the top of this section, the team that trades for Carl Anthony Towns needs to have a reason for doing it. There is a risk in trading for Cat, and I think Portland is the team that should do it. Bringing in Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi probably balances the team a little more, but they don't restructure the team. Ultimately, I think with Nurkic at the five, Portland won't be able to make a run at a championship. So this move addresses that. Like we've said for many of these options, the Towns Lillard pick and roll would be the most dangerous in the league. Portland would have four ball handlers on the court in closing situations who can all generate their own shot. Like with Steph, Towns' gravity extends Dame's career, open up the paint more than a nerk so he can continue to drive to the basket at an elite level as he has this season. And even if you don't move Nurkic, he's a credible backup five who can shoulder decent minutes during the regular season and provide serviceable relief if Towns is in foul trouble in big moments. On the Wolves side of things, I think Anthony Simons might be a perfect complementary player to Edwards in the backcourt. He's shown he can be really productive next to a primary guy. He's a great source of shot making when your number one sits. He's an elite off-screen, off-the-catch movement shooter who can pull up off the dribble. And he has the athleticism to develop into a serviceable point of attack defender at some point. On top of that, the Wolves bring in the number three pick. Whether that's Scoot Henderson, whether that's Brandon Miller, that is an absolute jackpot. You go from having a really troubled franchise who really messed up last season to having one of the most exciting young cores in the league that is ready to compete right now. Ultimately, for me, this is a win-win for both teams. Maybe it's a slightly steep price for Portland to pay to bring Towns in, but I love the idea of Towns in Portland. It would make for ridiculously fun basketball, and Cat provides a great bridge between the Lillard and the Sharp era. So, there you have it. That was the first episode of The Drop Step. We've dissected Towns' game, why he should be traded, and where he could slash should end up. Let me know your thoughts on the episodes at The Drop Step NBA. You can find that link to the Twitter account down below in the description, and vote in the poll to decide where Cat should be traded. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in the next few weeks with my debut episode of First in Class, a series that pits draft classes against each other in a 32-team tournament. I've been your host, Jack Quantrill. I really hope you enjoyed listening to our first episode. I really hope you enjoy the Celtics heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Tell any of your basketball-loving friends about the podcast. Drop a like, rating or review wherever you're listening. And I hope you tune in next time for another episode 
of the Dropstep podcast.